You're listening to an app session from the 2019 Art Conference in Anaheim, California. For more resources to equip you and your local church, visit arcchurches.com. Thank you very much. Welcome, everybody, to this session. And um, it's an honor to be able to share some things with you. And what we're going to do is that I'm going to share in the first portion, and then Holly will step in. She's a great after-lunch speaker. She'll bump up the energy. She'll, you know, she'll liven everybody up after I finish. Calming you down. And, uh, but yeah, we, we started our church 35 years ago. And we started in a, a home. Somebody's home. It's a Bible study. And, and then uh, after um, a few months in there, we felt God leading us to start a church. So it wasn't even a plan to start a church when we had the Bible study. And so then we got started and um, stayed small for a really long time. And uh, just hung in there. Because kind of like Dino's story you heard from him, we just took a shot to know really what we were doing. But figured out some of that as we went. But uh, then after 35 years, now uh, this last Sunday, we announced to our church congregation that Holly and I are handing over, passing the baton of the lead pastor role to uh, a person on our staff who has been a friend and a pastor and been our youth pastor, associate pastor, Dodger game attender would be. And and so now he's taking the leadership in October. It'll be official. And so uh, our church has been, is a really diverse church generationally. We have old people like me, and then we've got uh, our largest part, I think, I remember now, what we, we just found out that it's about 40-something percent are 18 to 35, right in there, something like that. And so, we're really diverse uh, racially and ethnically, you know, um, just across the board, pretty equal numbers, like 20-ish percent of Black, Asian, 20% Asian, 20% Latino, 20% white, all of this time we did it, it was like a couple less, a couple people less weren't voting. And um, so, and the, and the person that I'm, uh, I don't know if you noticed, but I'm a white person. And uh, <laughs> so I, I handed the leadership over to a black man who is leading congregation. So in our country today, that's a pretty unique uh, transition, but uh, it's just kind of exciting what God's done with us, and and um, so, uh, how many of you here are pastors? Alright, great. How many of you are planning to plant? In... Okay. One, two, okay. Great. Well, um, apparently I'm going to have a lot of free time soon, so if there's any way I can start... <laughs> to uh, help you out however I can. <laughs> so um, let me just start out by telling you a story. Uh, Holly and I uh, went, uh, several years ago, we went on vacation to Cancun, and we got certified to be scuba divers. And so for, you know, 10 years, we would go every summer scuba diving somewhere where we were on vacation, we'd go diving. And we never did in Southern California because the water's too cold. And... Uh, so one time we were in Florida, and we saw this brochure about a Feed the Sharks dive. And so it looked so cool. And we said, hey, when, when uh, this conference over, whatever we're doing there, let's go do this dive. So we, we did that dive. And so it, it was very close. It was supposed to be you go diving with nurse sharks, and they, they you know, you go down deep. So anyway, so we go down, and we didn't really dive too deep. It was probably... You know, maybe a little taller than the ceiling, but we're all down there. We've been instructed before that the the guy who's leading us will get in the center, and we get on our knees, kneeling in a big circle around him, and so then he's going to open the bay and hear the sharks. And so, all of a sudden, when we were down there and we're getting to that moment, I thought, I I have a couple questions. I should have asked before we got home. You know, like, um, 
has any of these Feed the Shark dives ever gone terribly wrong? <laughs> or, um, you know, how, how do we know these are nurse sharks? So when they started coming, I couldn't tell the difference between a nurse shark and a man-eating shark, you know, a tourist-eating shark. And I just thought, I don't want to show up on Shark Week unintended. And so I thought, man, there was, I put a lot of trust in the diver and uh, put a lot of trust in the sharks when you think about it. But uh, it was, everything went great, and I have all my fingers, and, and it was a great experience. But uh, I was just saying, sometimes getting into pastoring is a little like jumping in, and you're going in there, and it's like you get involved with stuff, and you think, wow, this was not an abortion. <laughs> I should have asked a few more questions before I got into this, because it looked cool from the audience, you know, and, it, you know, I have to confess, I had a little attitude uh, that I discovered was in me through all the churches I attended and when I was a, a worship pastor and when I was a youth pastor and when I was an assistant pastor, I had this little feeling like I could do this better. Wow. And then when I became a pastor, I found out I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> Not only that, but I didn't even know what was going on when I was the youth pastor. So anyway, I'm going to share a few things with you. Um, that maybe can help you in, you know, building the church of Jesus is the most exciting thing that you can do, whatever the role is that you get to play. But I'm going to tell you a few important things that I learned uh, in the next 22 minutes. Number one, give the Holy Spirit the place he deserves. And uh, what I'm talking about is in Acts chapter 2, Peter says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all your people. And your sons and daughters will prophesy, and your young men will see vision, and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. There's a lot of exciting things packed into that verse, and I love this portion of scripture. And they have it up here on the screen. That's awesome. And, uh, but the key of this is the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And I came from the Jesus movement, the charismatic renewal. I experienced some of the weirdest <laughs> Pentecostal charismatic things that you could do. We tried them all every Sunday morning for the first four years, which is why we stayed small for a long time. I managed to freak people out in the name of the Holy Spirit. And so then when I started learning something about leading a church and building teams and building leaders, and what I realized is that the... the um, Principles are important. The, the dynamics. It says um, in in Book of Proverbs. He says, "My by uh, wisdom and understanding, my house will be filled." And so, learning things like you might through the grow here or with art. Those principles are so important. But here's what happened in, in my life: is that the pendulum swung way over to crazy. And then when I realized, I don't think a lot of this is the Holy Spirit. I think a lot of this is me. And I think it's emotions. And I think it's like silliness. Because I'm trying real hard. And so, um, and then it swung way over trying to be relevant. And trying to be real. And, and, and those are important things. And, but then I think a lot of the church world has kind of been on this journey. And it's important that... that you have the Holy Spirit and these principles. Because what it, what it tells us in the scripture is uh, unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain. You've got to have the Holy Spirit. You have to have the power of God. You have to have the, that power working in us and in the people. But um, then it also says in Proverbs 24, 3, wisdom builds the house. And so um, what I, what I want to tell you is that you can be supernaturally natural or naturally supernatural. You know, God doesn't need me to take deep breaths and, and get, get into an emotion. Okay, I feel like the word of God and, and like to impart something to somebody. I can just be me. The Holy Spirit knew my strengths and weaknesses when I got in. And so, um, you know, sometimes somebody might be preaching and I was like, you know, um, I, I think the Lord's giving me a word, but if, 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 if it isn't for somebody here, then I just made it up, it's on me, sorry. 
but I'll give it a try. And and so many times it's the Holy Spirit, but I, I don't have to try to prove something to people. It's about connecting. What it's all about is leading people into the presence of God. The presence of God makes the principles more powerful and allows for the Holy Spirit to move in more power. And um, so that way, and, and you're so much more relatable and trustworthy and understandable. And um, I like what Moses said, Exodus 33, 15. If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. That I, want, I don't want to plant a church without you. I don't want to go into 2020 without the presence of God in our church. And um, so the second thing I'll tell you about is the power of perseverance. We all want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. We all want to say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. So for both what we would hear to ourselves and what we declare, perseverance is key. Perseverance is not a real sexy word. It's, it, perseverance, however, is the quality that allows all other qualities to mature and flourish. The most important thing you can have as a pastor and as a leader and as a follower of Jesus is perseverance. So that you can continue to learn and to grow. Hebrews 10.36 tells us you need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. Perseverance is a spiritual quality that we don't talk too much about. And so it just is a matter. Uh, perseverance is expressed in times of pain. I have wanted to quit so many times. So many times um, each year for 35 years, to be honest. You know, just like sometimes it's like, I don't know, you know, we've had people leave and we've had problems and blow-ups and different things. And what I've managed to do is persevere and just show up the next Sunday. And uh, I remember what God has put in my heart. Reach people that are far from God. So speak real English. And, and then lead them to be genuine followers of Jesus. And so if the last crew left then get up there and lead someone else that's far from God and lead them to be a genuine follower of Jesus. And I do my part, the Holy Spirit does His, and uh, after persevering uh, and continuing, God has been faithful. And, and you know, at our best moments, we, we've had 3,500 or so people as part of our church and probably more if we could ever get them there on the same day. <laughs> I can stick with the Easter numbers, but <laughs> perseverance is expressed in times of pain. And um, I heard somebody uh, talk about, it might even have been Elise right here on the front row who speaks at our church often on our speaking team. She said, uh, like, there's good pain. And I stopped taking notes of the good pain. Like, pain happens and then you learn from it. I don't like that term. I'm sure she was right. I just didn't say amen to that one. <laughs> I have this philosophy. You know, they tell you in the gym, no pain, no gain. You know, come on. You know, yeah. They trick you into do one more. Just one more. One more. You do one more. Come on, one more. You got it. No pain, no gain. I like the idea. I want to get a t-shirt. No pain, no pain. <laughs> That's my philosophy. That's what I thought being in church was going to be like, leading in church. It's going to be awesome. Every Sunday, high-fiving on the way out, cheering to the car. Yeah, that's <laughs> Here's three ways to add to your perseverance. One is perspective adjustments. Adjusting your perspective will help yeah. you persevere. Here's this idea that I like that keeps me on track, is that we're living... Two stories simultaneously. All of us. We're living two stories simultaneously. You are living the story of, I started in 1984, uh, the church, and the end of it is yet to come. That's the story. But there are chapters. 
There are stories in the middle. So what I'm talking about is Jesus saying to his disciples, his followers, get in the boat, I'll meet you at the other side. Getting in the boat was the beginning, the other side was the end of the story. But in the middle of that story, there's a second story that takes place. And there was a storm. And there was wind and waves, and then there was this strange looking thing walking across the water. They thought it was a ghost. It was really Jesus. And so there was something that took place there. And it's when you're in those difficult times, those difficult chapters, just because you've had a bad chapter doesn't mean that's the end of the story. And I'll tell you, some chapters are devastating. And you don't feel like going up there. And I'm, I'm a big one into, I like to, this is who I am. I have a little more energy in these moments, but basically I'm kind of not that great of a conversationalist or I'm, I'm a little bit of an introvert who loves people. Yeah. But, um, but I, I still have to just get back up there, smile, and keep going. And keep going. Persevering, it changes the perspective. And because there's no pain like people's pain. And you heard this um, a little bit today, and every one of you as pastors, is, is, are, either you already know it, or you might find out next Sunday, I don't know. <laughs> but people pain happens. And here's, here's my best shot at helping you. Pastoring a church is like driving a bus. At each stop, some people get on, and some people get off. And some people get on and stay longer than others. And some people get on for a short time and they get off. And that you have to maintain that perspective that gives you a little grace. People, you have to teach people and train your church. Transitions are normal. You know, some of your great people are going to get married. And maybe they'll marry somebody who's attending another church. And so the devil deceives them and they go to that church. And go. You know, and you just got to let them go. Sometimes they get job offers. You pray for them to be blessed and promoted and find favor. And they got a job in Texas. And they're going, shoot, you know, we're not in Texas. At the beginning of our church, we were in the city, not many churches in the city of LA when we started. And we had a couple of, we had a church on the way, way out in the valley, and Fred Price in Death Valley. That was the only ones I knew. And so, um, people get broken, messed up people will bring in, and then they would get fixed up, they get healed, they get their life together, and then they move to the valley. I said, like, wait a minute, I just spent two years on you, you're moving to the valley, now that you got a raise. So, why don't you stay here and help me help other people? But they just, it was cheaper to live out there. And so, um, but you just gotta let people, some people get off earlier than you want them to. And some people stay on longer. <laughs> yeah. You might have a person someday go, Pastor, I don't know how to tell this, but I feel like I should leave. Oh. <laughs> like, thank you, Jesus. Say, <laughs> like, oh, don't cry. I'm like, oh, it's all right. I'm <laughs> But you have to, but it only takes, sometimes leaving clears out division clears out compromise I haven't lost one great leader that God didn't replace with a better person and sometimes when you got a few people that you were counting on go the, the atmosphere clears I don't know how to tell you I don't want to over spiritualize it but sometimes it's like I'm feeling the pain sitting on the front row getting ready to go speak on forgiveness. And, um, but I said, wow, there's a little liberty in worship today. I thought there's more freedom here. So you just have to trust God and, and move forward. And I got this, I figured out this new term, Oasis Alumni. We have alumni all over the place. And so I don't own them. God owns them. I had a moment in their life. They're part of the journey. I meet Oasis alumni all over the place. So, anyway, it only takes one Jonah on your boat to where you start throwing over needlessly overboard confidence, question your calling, other leaders, trust, 
Yeah, you don't need to toss all that up. Just get rid of, you know. What's this thing? <laughs> a second way. A second thing is, uh, shoot, i got to go faster. Um, um, another way for, what was I talking about? Perseverance. Another way to be persevered is to have understand contentment versus compassion. One of the most uniquely powerful truths that Jesus teaches us, that Paul teaches us about, is contentment. It's one of the greatest truths in the Christian life. And if you get caught, as we all do, in how many people you have versus how many people they have, these conferences like this are a double-edged sword. You know, you come here and you get so inspired. And you know what I said to Holly this when we were walking in this room? I was like, look at all these classrooms they've got here. Wouldn't that be great if we had all this space for classrooms every church we've ever, you know, occupied. But you compare, you know, some inspiration compared to is inspiration, but, but you've got to balance it with contentment. And you have to be happy with who God has called you. You know, he gives each of us one talent, two talents, or I'll say one bag of money, two bags of money, five. It's not talking about talent skills, but and it's not up to you where you start with one, two, or five. And so you can get fearful and upset, or you can work the ground and double and keep growing. And, and so you can, you're responsible for the work. You're responsible for what you do. And God is, only God is responsible for what he does. And so um, you can't worry about services and campuses and church plans. Now that turns how many, how many church uh, campuses do you have? How many church plans do you have? It's just like, hey, how many do I have? I'm just trying to survive this one. <laughs> so but don't worry about it. You know, we've had one campus all the time. We did start one years ago. Um, and then we came back together because we were getting into a larger facility at the time. But I thought we're, also, we're starting one in, in the next year after I'm gone. And I'm okay with it. I'm okay with this. You know, passing the baton. And, and um, I just noticed that Julian, the, the guy who is becoming is the lead pastor of Oasis now, is here. Uh, and that's not the guy who raised his hand about He's white. Julian. I just happened to raise his hand. Julian, wave, wave to everybody here. That's what we have. So, uh, hey, I just heard Joyce Meyer say that. She goes, you got to like yourself. She said, you've got to be, uh, one day you'll figure out either you're going to be a God pleaser or a people pleaser. And as a pastor, you've got to learn that. And so many times I was afraid to hurt people's feelings and afraid to make the hard choices. And you just got to honor God. And sometimes you have to be willing to um, be rejected by some people or be misunderstood by people and get your, reach your destiny. And, and uh, you know, you don't have to be cruel or mean or anything like that. But you just got to, um, you have to make peace with who you are. Make peace with where you are. She said, she said, uh, make peace with your height. Make peace with your skin color. Make peace with, she said, make peace with your hips. Or your thigh, or something. Like, make peace with your weight. Either if, if you don't like it, then you can change that. But if you, it, otherwise, don't talk about it. Just make peace with who you are as a leader, as a pastor. And I'm not, I'm not certain. I'm inspired by all these pastors. All my favorite preachers are nothing like me. So, but I love them, and I'm me. And so. Um, Anyway, I gotta, I'm going to skip over a couple of verses. You're pastors. You know where these verses are. Uh, the, the third thing I wanted to teach you, uh, you know, about contentment and not comparing yourselves. Google it. <laughs> Number three is... <laughs> okay, so what I just had was three sub-points. This is three real big points. Okay. My, this one is make honor a core value. Make honor a core value. I'm convinced honor is the language of heaven. Wow. Romans 12, 10 says, honor one another above yourselves. The Bible talks to us about honoring the Lord with your first fruit, honoring your father and mother, that elders be worthy of double honor, 
you see honor throughout it. I think that's the, the what makes a difference in how you treat people, how others treat you. And you heard some of that this morning. But build honor as part of your church. Show honor to leaders. Show honor to volunteers. Show honors to guests. And, and treat others with honor when they're um, getting off the bus. You know, be as far as you can be honoring. If, if there's sin involved or, you know, reckless behavior, then, um, you know, you don't, you don't honor that. But, um, but it's part of the environment. And people expect that. Because then people will recognize without you saying when something is dishonorable. Wow. Right. Well, that doesn't seem right. And so we used to teach our children. Um, when we were trying to train them and discipline like somebody, we would tell them, uh, this is the rule, and this is because we want you to honor the teacher at school. This is because we want you to honor your friends. And so someone would get their feelings hurt, and I would say to my son, Jordan, that doesn't feel good, does it? No, that's because he dishonors you. So that's what it feels like when you dishonor people. So you don't want to put that feeling on other people. And so we, we teach it to our kids, we teach it to uh, our church, and it's so important that we express that. And it's honor is expressed in how you use your influence. And you, you show this to people. And uh, Listen, I'll tell you, what God wants you to do in life is so important. Fulfilling your destiny is so important. But let me tell you, please listen to this. If you walk away with one thing under honor, listen to this one. It's how you do it and when you do it is just as important as what you do. Because how you leave in one situation, you bring into the, your next situation. So you leave your church with dishonor, you're going to start your new church with some dishonor. And so you can't do it honorably on your own. Like I decided to go, I'm going next week, but I wanted to honor you by letting you know. Before I take half the church. It's not honorable. Honorable includes a conversation. Honorable includes some communication. And, and in fact, I would suggest maybe some of you need to go to your previous lead pastor and apologize or ask forgiveness and say, you know, I to think about this. Maybe I maybe I left a little dishonorable. I wasn't really thinking clearly or didn't honor you the right way. That will be huge. That will be huge in your soul, and then it will, it will be huge in your church. And it will be a great example in your sermon. <laughs> because you're living it. You're like, hey, I was an idiot. And so I had to go apologize. So some of you idiots need to go. You know, <laughs> okay, number four. Okay, number four is um, that having the heart of the Father. I think I just have to stop with that one. Um, and so, number four is having the heart of the Father. And what I mean by that is keep his heartbeat your heartbeat. We all have different visions of how we want to do church and how we want to do uh, ministry. But it's about reaching people. Jesus came to seek and save the lost he gave us a commission to go into all the world and reach people that are different, that are far from him, and then and to lead them. And so never lose the excitement about reaching people for Christ. You know, I can teach a message on tithing or spiritual discipline, and we will give an opportunity for people to receive Jesus. And people do. The Holy Spirit has a way of working through whatever you're talking, if you care, if it's yeah. in your heart. Yeah. It's not a technique. It's just loving people. Don't lose that. Um, and put that in your, your messages and in your church um, so that you're, you're expressing the importance of one person. 
You know, I've had that thing where you, everybody bow your head, close your eyes, and how many of you want to receive Jesus? I'm thinking, you know, I'm, I'm dreaming that we're going to have 100 people raise their hand, and there's one. You go, there's not one. And then it's quiet. You didn't make a, you didn't preach a bad sermon. It doesn't mean a bad thing. It's like, one came to Jesus. Yeah. Chronicle son story, you ever heard the lost sheep story? One, yay. And but what happens is at this point in, in our three services, we probably get at least 20 to 25 salvations every service that we do, whatever we're doing. And uh, it's because you keep the heart of the Father so real. And it will get into the heart of the people, and they're the ones that are going to grow your church because they will bring friends to this. And so now I'm going to introduce. I'm out of time. I'll give you five minutes because I'm such a Christian. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> She's giving me five minutes of her time. Yeah. I love that. Thank you, Holly. You're so sweet. She will also quite talk twice as fast as yeah. me and say twice as much. Yeah. Okay, so here's what I was going to tell you. Is that um, one of the best baseball players in history... Um, and I'll call for the photo so we don't get too far ahead, is Rod Carew. He yeah. played for the Angels. And Rod Carew was one of the best hitters ever. He had an 18-year career, and he hit 328 lifetime batting average. And um, to the right over here is this NFL player, Conrad Rulin. He was an NFL player uh, and uh, had a short career. And so the connection with these two is that when Rod Peru was in, uh, in his 70s, he's going to church here in Orange County, but he had uh, heart and kidney failure. And he uh, was really sick and was close to death. And he needed to have a heart transplant and a kidney wow. transplant. And so uh, what happened is that Conrad Newland was in his NFL career and then he died suddenly of a brain aneurysm at the age of 27. And so he had told his mom, he said that um, when he was 11 years old, he met Rod Carew and Rod Carew was his hero. And so he got him to autograph something and he met him and he told his mom um, that uh, I've decided after meeting him, I'm going to be a professional athlete because my hero is a professional athlete, so I'm going to do that. And so when he died at 27, he had signed the organ donor thing. And so he, his organs ended up being given to Ron Carew. And Ron Carew didn't know that. The surgery took place and it was successful. And so the mother searched out and found Rod Peru. And so she called him and said, I just want you to know about my son that died and you have his organs. And here's what Rod Peru said, would you like to come feel his heartbeat? And she said, yeah, I would. And so she came over, the family, and go to the next slide. She's feeling her son's heartbeat in Rod Carew. And so I tell that story because the heartbeat of the Father is so important to your planning church, your loving people, for your strategies and the process is keep your hand on the heart of the Father and that will guide you. illustration a thousand times, but there's a story in, in verse 8 that talks about the Queen of Sheba. And it says she heard about Solomon, she heard about all of his wisdom, she heard about this temple that he built, this house of God that he built, and she didn't believe any of it. She thought, yeah, you're exaggerating. But it says she comes, she makes a very long trip, and she comes into the temple, the house of God that Solomon had built, and it says that as soon as she did, she's like, oh, her breath was taken away. 
And so for me, I think each one of us have a responsibility to create an environment in God's house. That when the hurting and the lost and the atheists and those who doubt, when they walk in, they encounter a love and an experience that is so breathtaking that they just never want to leave. And so I just have to commend you for putting your hand to doing that. You wouldn't be here if you didn't love God's church. And so as Philip mentioned, just to come off the back of the, having the heart of God, the heart of God is his church. And so I just want to commend you for, for giving your lives to building God's house. Because whatever else you build in your life and build whatever you're going to build, the house of God is eternal. His church is what's eternal. And so I just want to say thank you for partnering with us. Right? And doing all of us, doing our part in whatever region in the country, in the world that God's entrusted you with and for building his church because it is the vehicle God uses to see life grow and change. So thank you for doing that. And thank you for loving God's house and creating this breathtaking experience. So we were coming up with the title for this app, you know, Leadership, Longevity, and Ministry Minefields. I'll mention a few minefields. Um, but when I started thinking about what is it, how... How is it that we can last 35 years and basically still love each other? I mean, most days. And <laughs> most days. And, um, and, and love God and love the church, love our kids, love our team. How is it that I started thinking of some things and just things that I had to learn to do so that that could happen? And for me, one of the first things that I, that I would say is I had to really honestly trust God. I know that sounds like, oh, okay, trust God. But no, really. Now, Psalm 28, 7 says, The Lord is my strength and shield. My heart trusts in him, and he helps me. Trusting God. So can you trust God that maybe you're a captain of tens and not hundreds? I'm just saying. Can you trust him? Can you trust that he sees the beginning from the end? Can you trust him? Can you trust him with people on your team? Can you trust him? Can you trust him? And your leaders will face obstacles and adversities and really hard times. And I think you have a choice to live in fear and do things that dishonor God, get angry and frustrated, or trust Him. And we're all going to face setbacks and failures. And I think only when those happen, when we face setbacks and failures, that's when our trust God thermometer is actually tested. Right? It's easy to trust God when you got the money you want, you got the building you want, you got the people you want. Right, but it's when the setbacks come you find out to my really it reveals for me, it revealed whether I was really guided more by self-trust than trusting God. And I think um, you know, when when a leader knows and trusts God, then they, they do know that there's more to their life than their past problems or any any particular moment. And because trust is always oriented to the future. You're trusting that God will do what he said he would do. You know, trusting God, you have to trust God when the future looks murky. It's easy to trust God when you can see the whole path. But we never get to. Right? Just think about with, from, with Abraham and Moses and David, they all had to trust God when the future was very murky. And I, the Bible often contrasts trusting God with being fearful. And when we're fearful, and we've all had moments when we're fearful, but when we're fearful, then we become emotionally and socially and I think spiritually paralyzed. And when you trust God, that's when you're adventurous. It's like, here we go! It's when you just trust God. I'm not talking about being stupid, but when you trust that God God's going to do what he said he would do. When you trust him, then you're adventurous. You're taking a risk. You're starting that. You're trusting him. And if we Truth is, if we don't trust God, we're going to trust something else. Trust someone or something else. And for me, I think the hardest time in trusting God was in the waiting. Between what I saw, could be, and where I am right now. The gap. Like trusting God in the waiting. Henry Nowen said this. He said, for many people, waiting is an awful desert between where they are and where they want to go. So I had to learn that waiting actually means living as if this moment is full, not empty. Trusting God right now in this moment, believing that something that can happen here. Because if we keep putting it off to there, then we're overlooking like now. 
So it's me asking, what does God want to do right here, right now with these 10 people? But in my heart, there's a thousand. And what does God want to do with these? And I, for me, I, you know, I'm, the, I'm, I'm the type A, the 7, 8 on the Enneagram. I'm a make-it-happen kind of person. And so for me, waiting was giving up my very futile attempts to control my world and my future. It's trusting God. I can't control the growth of the church. I can't. I can't control the decisions other people make. I can't control when people get on the bus and get off the bus. I can make the bus look really fun. And you better, right? House of God, breathtaking. I can do my part. But I can't control who gets on and off. I can't control how long it's taking to get this project off the ground. Can't control it. Trusting God and the waiting. You know, and Philip mentioned perseverance, and I just, I remember reading this book about Christopher Columbus, and one thing that he said in his diary, you know, as he's on that ocean crossing, and uh, in his diary at times it was actually really repetitive, because page after page in his diary simply said, this day we sailed on. And so for us, church, this Sunday we got up again. This Sunday we did it again. Right. And it's not the, it's not the fireworks, it's not the, the big deal, we just did it again. And oftentimes people will ask Philip and I, because they'll look at us and go, How did you? Because like we're just normal people. So, you know, how did you build this or do this or, or how did you get there? And we just kept going. That's it. We just got back up one more time. And as he mentioned, perseverance only applies to the hard stuff. I've never had to persevere through a massage. Or a hot fresh Sunday. No, it's perseverance only applies to the hard stuff. You know, James says this. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And then he says, let perseverance finish its work. So then you'll be mature and complete, not lacking anything. We all want the mature and complete, not lacking anything. But that doesn't come from how old you are or what you know. It comes from what you persevere through. So if you want the end, it's persevering through. And I know it's so easy to write in a notebook, but go ahead and write it in there. Right. Because there will come a time when you need to know that someone who's gone before you is saying, yep, this day we sailed on. Just get back up again. I'll hold your hand if you want, but we just do it again. And then I think some of the, another tool that sort of helped me stay the course is healthy relationships. You know, the Apostle Paul is perhaps you know, the best known of the apostles, and in the New Testament, his name is probably mentioned more than anyone's other than Jesus. And I think it, of course, it has to do with the fact he wrote most of it, but, uh, I mean, he was instrumental in forming the thinking and the theology of the early church. But, you know, he didn't do it by himself. He didn't do ministry alone. In fact, in his letters, Paul mentions over 100 wow. individuals who worked alongside him, who encouraged him, who assisted him, and who made his ministry stronger. He didn't do ministry alone. In fact, Paul could not have done what he did by himself. You know, along the way, think about it. He encountered shipwrecks and snake bites, and he was beaten and imprisoned, and I think it was the people he was on the journey with who actually helped him bravely sail on, keep going. And that's why I think God listed so many of those people on the pages of the New Testament. So let me ask you the question, who's written on the pages of your life? I mean, it's great that you're here. And I hope you're here and you take notes and you learn. I mean, good Lord, that morning I feel very full after all we heard this morning. Amazing. And, and we can reread that and we listen to it and all that stuff. But you know what's going to sustain you is the people that you deal with. Right. That's right. Yeah. And relationships take time. It takes intentionally making phone calls and sending texts and choosing to meet coffee. It's never convenient. Ever. <laughs> ever. But when you go through some crap, you're going to need people with you. Peers, your peers with you, who understand what it is. You know, it was a very hard trip that Paul and his companions walked out, but they did it together. And it's tricky because, you know, the people who are in your community are also the people that you work with, they're the people that you lead, and it gets very confusing sometimes. So whatever, whatever arena you serve in, 
Build some relationships with somebody who's your peer. And whatever that is. If you lead children's ministry, find some other people who are leading children's ministry. If you are leading a church, find another lead pastor you can connect with. If you are you something, find a peer that you can get some wisdom from and vent with a safe one who also loves your church. You're still on the bus. Right? Not somebody's got one foot in, one foot out, that one. not no people. You know, a couple years ago, Philip and I had um, a really rough season. And honestly, it was probably the hardest season in ministry for us. And, and personally, and just in ministry, my father died suddenly, and that sort of triggered some, or began a season of really hard. And I, I was very loved by my dad. I, I was very blessed to have a father who was my biggest cheerleader and encourager, and I, I know that. So his death hit me pretty hard. And then... Uh, I'm grieving that loss, and then Philip's identity gets stolen, and um, and because of how it was done, uh, th- then they got into our bank account, and because of how it was done, the FBI got involved, but we never actually got that money back, just like, gone. So dealing with lost my heart, my father, financial loss, and then Philip gets cancer, you can see he's fine now, but all these years ago, cancer, and then um, all these treatments he underwent, and... It really was devastating on his immune system, and then he gets shingles because his immune system is so terrible, and a really bad case, and he can't really function. His, his brain's foggy, his body's a mess, and so I'm like trying to help church, help with him, lead people to. It was really hard, and then there were some people who you would think would have your back in this season, and they're the ones that stab. Right? And it's just betrayal by some people who are close to me. And so it's painful, 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 painful. And I found myself wanting to just not be with people. Hello, Saturn on the Enneagram. We party people. We people people. Right? But I found myself, you know what? That couch looks good. I can find something on Netflix to watch. And I just when I don't do that. And I I found myself getting very cynical about people. And um, very, like, just bitter, like, very sarcastic. And um, in a moment, God showed me who that woman would become. And I didn't know what she looked like. She was just bitter, old, critical woman. And I was not going to be her. And so I made the decision to begin that process of forgiving and pulling bitterness out and once again to connect with people. To to get in people's world, open my heart again, to do it again. People. Yes, it's hard. But you know, it's honestly, there were many people who got me through those months, pastor friends I have around the country who would just Send a text, they had no idea that that moment I really needed to get that. But also, I had conversations with people who were very aware of every step that I was in the middle of. And these are the ones who could pray for me, that my circumstance and situation was not foreign to them. And so I'm just encouraging, you can be isolated and do it by yourself, but you will die. Your church will be unhealthy, or you can do life with people. And is it hard? Yes. But it's harder without it. It's just like, you know, you can breathe air and get smog. Welcome to California. Or you can not breathe air and die. So, (laughs) your choice. But honestly, even some some of it, and when we were in that season of bad, it was just, I was kind of just like embarrassed that one more thing was happening. And um, there was a part of me, you know, again, I was just, you start wondering, did, did I cause this? Is this me? And then it got embarrassing that every phone call was telling one more bad thing that we were dealing with. You know, well, the prophet Elijah, he had one of those moments too. After you know this confrontation with evil, he was exhausted and he fled to this cave and he found himself all alone. He's like, oh, I'm all by myself, right? And then and God took care of him there, let him catch his breath for a moment, and they said, buddy, by the way. There are actually 7,000 other ones. But you know what God did right after that? Is he sent him to Elisha. Because he actually need to be with somebody. 
we need to be doing this together. So I just want to encourage you that every time we choose independence from each other and from God, we pray right into the enemy's hands. Yeah. Yeah. Build those relationships. And then, um, I think the thing that has probably seen me through this whole journey is just a commitment to develop spiritual disciplines. First Timothy 4, 7 but ha- says, but have nothing to do with your irreverent folklore and silliness. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness, keeping yourself spiritually fit. So basically, when I think about spiritual disciplines, and, I've, and there are plenty of books about them, and I've studied some, so I'm just going to list a few, but just think about it. So Bible reading is considered a spiritual discipline. So, but according to this verse, right, we do Bible reading for the purpose of godliness. And there's two kinds of Bible reading. There's information, which is like covering as much ground and trying to get a sermon. <laughs> right? Or there's formational Bible reading, which is letting the scripture speak to you. Letting the scripture form you. In Proverbs 18.13, I, I would go through the Proverbs you know, one a day. That was my little pill a day. I was doing that long, reading other stuff, but I would always read Proverbs. So I remember getting to this one a few years ago, and it says, and I was reading the message translation this year. It says, answering before listening is both stupid and rude. <laughs> and I thought, ah, that's funny, and I quickly went to the next one. And then I went, wait, wait, wait. Have I done that? And I'm pretty sure my husband would say, yes, you do. <laughs> Are you willing to let the, the word speak to you? Right? And then I recently was doing teaching on David, and I was reading 1 Samuel 24, verse 5. It says, But then David's conscience began bothering him. Wow. Because he cut Saul's robe, and I thought, When was the last time my conscience bothered him? So I let the word speak to me. Not Holly the pastor, not Holly the author, not Holly the the girl. Yes. Do I let the word of God form me and shape me and challenge me and correct me? Or am I just whipping through to say, I did my Bible reading? Right. See, it's Bible reading. As a spiritual discipline for godliness. It's prayer for the purpose of godliness. Not prayer so you can say you did it. It's worship for the purpose of godliness. Not just so people see your hands raised. It's serving for the purpose of godliness. Not just so you can say you have served people. It's fasting for the purpose of godliness. Not to starve. It's solitude for the purpose of godliness. And honestly, that was a hard one for me. Again, people, person. I was, I'm really good at doing. I had to learn to be better at being. You know, and so for me, I spent this period of time working on the disciplines that were just being. The being still, the solitude. Journal, I just journal. What a waste of time. Just tell me. <laughs> but doing the ones that kept me still being. Being not just doing, we need both. We need the contemplation and the service. And then joy. I'd like to say that joy is a spiritual discipline. It's not an emotion. It's a decision. And fun? Can you just have fun on this journey? Honestly, that's what makes us attractive to people. You just think about who you want to hang out with, the one that looks like, or the one who's like laughing. (laughs) Have some fun. Are there going to be hard times? A lot of them. But find some people that you can laugh with. Have some fun with. And then the Sabbath. It's interesting. In the Ten Commandments, The Sabbath is the fourth commandment, and it is the bridge that connects the other ten commandments together. Because the first three are about our honor of God, and the last six are about how we treat our neighbor. And in between those is the one about the Sabbath. So maybe the point is, if we don't actually ever rest, then we're never going to get great at loving people. Because we're on this treadmill to do, 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 and build, 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 and we just forget the people. Because I'm busy going about what I want to do. And we're building God's house, but it's not a race in the sense for speed. Speed is not the issue. Sometimes we, and I would be one of those people, we go, 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 do things too fast. Which is when we end up, you know, comparing ourselves with others, and again, that's stupid. And then we're just going, 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 and then we find ourselves burned out. Can't sleep. And I've had a number of conversations with people over the last few years, and, and they're wanting to quit. And it just came from weariness. That's all. Take a breath. Let me just ask you, how are you really? And do you ever answer that question honestly with someone? Or do you just put on the fake face? How are you really? 
See, integrity, integrity is not just being honest and keeping your word no matter what. I mean, it is that. But within the realm of mathematics, integrity means a whole number. It's not one number, it's not one number and part of another number. It's not fractionalized. Rather, an integer suggests completeness or wholeness. And you know what? You can you can borrow messages and strategies. We all do. But you can't borrow integrity. That's yours. And you have to do the work of building that, of letting God make you whole on the inside. You know, the emotional health. And then my and how we handle pain. Oof. How you handle pain is crucial. Let me just say this. Whenever you stub your toe or jam your finger in a door, the only thing you can focus on is what hurts right there. Right? What's well, the same thing as a leader? When I was in that season of pain, all I could think about was me and the pain. And so self, when you're in pain, you become a very selfish leader. Because you just think about you. And so it's not that you deny the pain, you get help with the pain. You make different decisions, you just can't stay in pain forever. Or you have to make the decision to get that health, healthy soul and work your way out of that. Does that make sense? Yeah. All right, then the last thing I'll mention is, you know, speaking of minefields, um, you know, Philip and I have had to learn to work and lead together. And uh, Princeton University did this study recently concluding that companies are stronger when women have a seat at the table. And the United Nations concluded that nations are healthier when women have an opportunity to be a part of government structure. So you just think about it. So that's the secular world saying, putting their stamp on the you know, women equation. Well, a natural home, the home that you're raising your kids in, they, it's healthiest with a mother and a father. And I think the house of God is healthiest with a voice in the presence of a mother and a father. It makes it stronger. Now, there are biblical examples, Priscilla and Aquila. Biblical example of a husband and wife working together. You know, Acts 18 states that Priscilla and her husband, Aquila, were leaders in the church at Ephesus. And then together they taught Apollos correct doctrine. And Romans 16, 7 says, and greet, this is Paul writing, greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who've been in prison with me. They're outstanding among the apostles. And most scholars agree that not only were Andronicus and Junius, well, Junior both apostles, but they were husband and wife. So there's biblical precedent. The minefield is working it out. Right? And so what we've had to learn to do is, and it hasn't been easy because, you know, again, I can go, go, go. So we've had to learn to create lanes to run in together and then be willing for those lanes to change. As the gift mix changes, as capacities change, my goodness would be, you know, the, the tree trunk in my eye is I would be looking in that lane going, hey, that lane looks more fun. And so I would want to get in that lane and, you know, causes all sorts of trouble. Um, I know nobody can relate to that. But for us, and let me just paint this other picture. Just, I mean, I actually am a teacher, and, but not every wife, husband is a teacher. So it's understanding the gift mix in each other and letting that gift flourish. She, she just needs to be present. And so we've had to learn to be clear about the lanes and then to give grace to each other when we mess up. <laughs> give grace to each other. And then 35 years later, you're still smiling and working it out and teaching seminars about how to do it. But you just have to stay the course. All right, was this helpful? Can um, we just pray? What do you want to do? Felipe? Praying is good. Father, I thank you so much for just the men and women in this room who are uh, have put their hands to building your church. And I, I just pray, God, that each one of them would um, just feel a peace in their soul. That they're loved and accepted and valued. That they're doing what you would have them do. And they can rest on that. And I thank you that each one of them will have this commitment to perseverance, this commitment to trusting God, this commitment to building relationships, to keeping the Father's heart. I thank you, God. I just thank you, Father, even in here, that maybe some relationships will be formed and triggered and encouraged. And I just ask you to bless them. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I bless you, God.
I just want to say earlier, I was kind of joking around when I said the transition and I got time on my hands, but um, my intention for 2020 is to be more available to pastors that have planted churches. And, and so um, if you run into me here or something, talk to me. I'll give you my contact info, or you can mail somebody at Mark and they'll give you the email address and love to connect with you and see if, I, if there's anybody we can serve you. Okay? We hope you enjoyed this session from the Art Conference. Our heart is that you are more encouraged and excited about your calling than ever before. For dates and locations, and to register for an upcoming Art Conference, visit artconference.com.